Job 9, chapter 9, verses 32 to 35. And that can be found on uh, the Church Bibles, page uh, 516. And then we're going to move on to James afterwards, rather coincidentally. Uh, so Job 9:32. He is not a mere mortal like me, that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court. If only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me, so that his terror would frighten me no more. Then I would speak up without fear of him, but as it now stands with me, I cannot. Now we're going to move to the letter to J of James, chapter 5, verses 7 to 11, which can be found on 1216 in the Church Bibles. Patience in suffering. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, James. Um, if you've been coming to Christchurch for the last few weeks, you know that we've been working through this book, Out of the Storm, um, by Christopher Ash, on looking at the book of Job. Um, well, today is an interlude, but you might not realise it's an interlude. So Ben said I could preach on anything I wanted, which sounds great, doesn't it? But we're in the middle of a series of Job, so I couldn't depart completely from Job. So what I decided to do is to look up all the references to Job throughout the rest of the Bible. Well, yeah, set aside time. I thought this might take me quite a long time. Fortunately, there's only two passages outside of Job in the Bible that refer to Job itself. One is in um, Ezekiel, and I'm not going to preach on that because I have no idea what Ezekiel was talking about in that passage. <laughs> the other passage was James, and that's a lot easier, so I decided to preach on that passage. Um, James is writing to persecuted Christians. He's writing to Christians who are suffering, and he decides to refer them to the book of Job to try to encourage them. Now, I wonder what you think about that. Would you have chosen the book of Job to encourage other Christians who are suffering? They've been forced to leave homes and family, and James refers them back to Job. I'm not sure I would have chosen it, really. I'm not sure the book of Job is the first book I think of when I think of trying to encourage people. 
But in our passage, James writes this verse. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. There's sort of three things there, aren't there? You've heard about Job's perseverance, and that's true. Job perseveres chapter after chapter, it seems, and we've persevered as well to some extent. <laughs> and that seems fair enough. You want these Christians to persevere, even though they're suffering. They're suffering real hardship. They do need to persevere. But then James goes on to talk about, you have already seen what the Lord finally brought about. It's an interesting phrase, isn't it? I wonder what comes to mind when you hear that. You have already seen what the Lord finally brought about. If you've managed to read to the end of Job, you should get a prize, I think. Well done for getting to the end of Job. If you've managed to read to the end of Job, you'll know that Job is finally comforted. At the final chapter, I don't want to preempt Ben's final talk, but at the end of Job, he's given back his possessions, he's given a new family, he's restored by God, and that's fantastic news. So you might think that James is referring to that. And that's definitely encouraging, isn't it? That if we persevere, the Lord will be faithful, and he will reward us one day. That's great that Job's suffering comes to an end, but I'm not entirely sure that what James is referring to. It's difficult to imagine that Job thought even twice as much stuff as he was given at the end justifies all the pain he went through. And it's obvious that even a new family doesn't compensate for the loss of the children. So I'm not sure that he would have thought that all the pain and suffering he went through compensated him for all his suffering. And I think James must be referring to something else. James then goes on to talk about God's mercy and compassion. Again, that's surprising, isn't it? How many have you thought about God's mercy and compassion as we've read through the book of Job? It's a tough read, isn't it? Job is continually suffering. He's pouring out his anguish to God. I'm not sure Job would have described God, and he certainly doesn't describe God as compassionate and mercy all of the time. He says some very powerful things against God. Yes, God shows his power and sovereignty, but Job's far from sure that he's being compassionate towards him. I think on the surface, James might be considered to be one of Job's friends. It's a false comfort. But on its own, the book of Job doesn't seem to offer much compassion and mercy. As we've seen, chapter after chapter is about suffering. And I think that's why some of us have struggled, haven't we, while we've read through Job's for the last eight weeks. It is a tough read, and it raises many uncomfortable feelings, I think. But James talks about what God has finally done. He talks about God's mercy. And so what does James mean when he says that? I think the answer is the cross. It usually is. G- James is looking at Job through the cross and resurrection of Jesus. The Lord has finally brought about something that Job can rejoice in. It does demonstrate God's mercy and compassion. And I think it does that because Job ultimately points to Jesus. And I want to look at three ways in which I think Job points to Jesus. He points to Jesus in what he says, at least some of the time. He points to Jesus in what he longed for. And he points to Jesus 
in the way that Job suffered. So the first point is that Job points to Jesus in what he says. James says that Job is an Old Testament prophet, and Old Testament prophets speak to their generation, but they also speak about things that are going to happen in the future. And that was true for Job. Some of the things Job says are truly shocking. His friend certainly thinks he goes too far when he's speaking about God. And I think as we read through Job, I think we're meant to be shocked by some of the things he says. God destroys both the blameless and the wicked. He then goes on to say, when a scourge brings sudden death, God mocks the despair of the innocent. In effect, Job is saying that God laughs in the face of suffering. That would be shocking to Job's friends. And I think it's meant to be shocking to us. God does not laugh in the face of suffering. Job looks at his own suffering, suffering and he extrapolates from his own experience and he comes up with some dreadful conclusions about God, things that are simply not true. I think it's amazing that those statements are still part of God's word, that God has honoured them and kept them in his Bible, in his word. And I think they're there because they reflect how Job felt at the time, but I think they're there because they also reflect how we feel at times. We're confused and doubt God. Job's friends are shocked and outraged at what Job says, but God honours what Job says. I don't think that means that everything Job says is true. That's clearly not the case. But in the midst, occasionally Job gets it right, doesn't he? There are fantastic verses that Job speaks. And I think those verses come out of when Job is expressing his faith in God. There's still that hope remains despite the suffering. So we've looked at previous weeks how how Job longs for an advocate. He longs for a mediator. He longs for a redeemer. He wants someone to act on his behalf. And he remains confident in God despite his suffering. Those fantastic words... I know that my Redeemer lives. It's amazing that Job can say that in the midst of suffering. Those words refer to Jesus, but for Job, it was an unseen future hope. Job wishes he could appear before God, but he knows that because God is so great, he'd never be able to defend himself. And that's why he longs for someone else to mediate on his behalf. In our first passage today, it says, he's not a mortal like me that I might answer him, that we might confront each other in court, if only there was someone to mediate between us, someone to bring us together, someone to remove God's rod from me, so that his terror would frighten me no more. If only there were someone like that. It's amazing that Job says that, because Job thinks that God has wrongly accused him. Job thinks that it's God's hand who is against him. What he wants is someone from the heavenly court to speak on his behalf. I don't know if you've thought about that, but that that seems deeply ironic to me. Job wants someone in the heavenly court to speak on his behalf. Well, right at the beginning of Job, someone in the heavenly court did speak about Job. It was Satan. 
Satan, the accuser, is the one who says that Job is only acting righteously for what he can get out of it. Contrary to what Job believes, it wasn't God at all that accused him. It was Satan. Contrary to what Job thinks, it's not God's hand that's against him. It's Satan's hand. I think Job's words are ironic, aren't they? But they speak to a deeper truth. A deeper truth than he could imagine at the time. Job did need an advocate. He did need a mediator. He did need someone to redeem him. But in a totally different way to how he imagined. The deeper truth that Job couldn't see is that God himself would become his mediator, his advocate, his redeemer. How fantastic is that? Job had to trust God, even though he didn't know what the future held. God didn't tell him that he was going to become a man and die on a cross. That would have just confused Job even more. Job had to trust in his doubt and uncertainty. There are times when Job speaks far less than he knows. But there are also times when he speaks far more than he knows. Not everything that Job says points to Jesus, but when he's expressing his hope in God, he's speaking about Jesus. So he's a prophet, and what he says points to Jesus, at least some of the time. Job also points to Jesus in the way he lives and the things he longs for. I think when we've looked at Job, it's easy for us to focus on his physical and emotional suffering, isn't it? What he went through must have been unbearable. He loses all his possessions in his home. His servants and his children are killed. He suffers from a painful skin disease. And then he's forced to sit on a stump. It's absolutely horrendous. And all Job has left are his wife and a few of his friends. And to be honest, at time, he could do without those most of the time. It must have been terrible for Job. It's difficult to imagine anything worse, isn't it? But interestingly for Job, that wasn't the worst of it. If you go back and read Job's speeches, you'll see that Job never asks for his wealth to be restored to him. Job never asks for physical healing. Job never asks for his family to be restored to him. That's quite amazing, isn't it? I think those things would be top of my list if I was suffering like Job. He was in despair because he believed that God had caused the suffering. And it's that that causes him to suffer the most. Yes, he suffers physically, (coughs) emotionally and psychologically. But his greatest suffering was spiritual. He thought God had deserted him. And amazingly, Job doesn't give up on God, despite that belief. Job wasn't perfect, but he didn't give up on God. I think there must have been times when he was tempted to give up, wasn't he? He was human. He must have thought, I'm going to just give in. His wife tells him to curse God and die, an easy way out. His friends tell him to confess his sins and just to be done with it. His friends either tell him, confess your sins and then you'll be a blessing to other people. If Job was righteous, surely that must have been attractive. But he doesn't give in. He stood firm. And I think in his righteousness and in his resistance to temptation, again, Job points to Jesus. Ultimately, Job's temptations came from Satan. 
And we know that Jesus was tempted by Satan. He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness. Uh, Satan promised Jesus, if you turn your back on God and worship me, you'll get all the glory and honor that you deserve. All the kingdoms of the world will be given to you. All your needs would be met. There'd be no more suffering. And you can do fantastic miracles to convince everyone who you are, the Son of God. How tempting that must have been, I think, for Jesus. Not for his own sake, but for the good he could have done for others. But like Job, he doesn't give in. Job was also tempted by his friends, wasn't he? His friends tell him to give in. And Jesus is also tempted by his closest friends. He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan, when Peter says you'll never go to the cross. Job maintained his righteousness and refused to give in to God. Sorry, refused to give up on God. Jesus resisted temptation, even greater temptation, and continued to put God first. So Job points to Jesus in what he says. He points to Jesus in the way he lives. Finally, Job also points to Jesus in the way that he suffers. I think this is the main point that I want to bring out. There are many similarities between Job and Jesus in the way they suffer. Both Job and Jesus suffer despite being innocent. Both were seemingly rejected by God. Job wrongly believed he was rejected by God, but Jesus on the cross cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Both Job and Jesus were betrayed by their friends. Job's friends were with him, but they were no comfort. In his hours of need, Jesus' friend deserted him. Both were judged as sinful. Job's friends tell him he must have sinned, otherwise he wouldn't be suffering. And we know that Jesus' enemies say he's a lawbreaker and in league with the devil. And then Job was forced to live on a rubbish heap outside of the city walls. And Jesus dies on a cross outside of the city walls. I think one of the key lessons from the book of Job is that righteousness is not incompatible with suffering. Righteousness is not incompatible with suffering. Job's friends clearly thought they were incompatible. You must have sinned, otherwise you wouldn't be suffering. I think Job also thought they were incompatible. That's why he's so outraged, isn't it? I shouldn't be suffering like this. God, you're not being fair. I'm righteous. You should not be treating me like this. Job thought that suffering and was incompatible with righteousness. In Job's mind, that's not the way it should be. But of course, the deeper truth of the book of Job is that Job suffers precisely because he is righteous. The only reason Job suffers is because he's righteous. God wouldn't have handed Job over to Satan in the first place if he wasn't righteous. It was God who brought, Satan's, who brought Job to Satan's attention, not the other way around. Job's suffering would have ended immediately, I think, if he'd given in to Satan's temptations. He would have, the suffering would have come to an end because Satan would have won. The test would be over. The book of Job shows that righteousness and suffering are not incompatible. In fact, the opposite. The book of Job and the cross show us that righteousness and suffering are ultimately and deeply linked. 
They go together. Job thought that he had been abandoned by God. Jesus was abandoned by God. He was abandoned on the cross because he took our sin and our punishment upon himself. Job was totally scandalized that the righteous should suffer. And he was right to be scandalized. It is a scandal that the Son of God should die for us. He should die for each one of us. That the righteous one should die for the unrighteous. Righteousness is not incompatible with suffering. They're intimately linked. So Job is a prophet in what he says, what he longs for and how he suffers. And Jesus fulfills all of those prophecies but in a way that far exceeds how Job could have imagined. Now I don't know if Job is a real person but if Job is a real person and he meets God in heaven he's going to be blown away, isn't he? So either Job or the writer of Job when they come face to face with Jesus in heaven are going to be amazed. Job wanted an advocate and he will see Jesus as his advocate. Job wanted love, God wanted Sorry, Job questioned both God's love and God's justice. But when he sees Jesus, he will know that they've both been fully met on the cross. Job longed to be reconciled to God. But when he sees Jesus, he will know that God was always with him. Job refused to curse God, but Jesus takes God's curse on himself. Job thought he wanted justice. But what he got was grace. And he would know that when he sees Jesus face to face. So what does this mean for us today? What does it mean when we suffer? Job's words, life and suffering point to Jesus. Of course, the challenges that were also meant to point to Jesus. We're meant to point to Jesus in our words, in our life. And yes, we're meant to point to Jesus even in our suffering. Like Job, our witness will be imperfect at times. But at the best moments, our lives and our words and our suffering can point beyond ourselves to what the Lord has done and what the Lord continues to do. I want to finish with just one last thought. I'm pleased to say that Job was comforted. He was comforted right at the end and Ben, I'm sure, will preach on that. But he was also comforted while he suffered. Even while he was still in the dust and ashes, God met with him. Job's suffering didn't end immediately as soon as God spoke to him. The suffering continued, but he was comforted. And Job wasn't comforted because his suffering was unimportant. His suffering was much more important than he could ever have imagined. And for me and for us, I think there's massive encouragement here, isn't there? Job wasn't given all the answers for why he suffered. It might sound cool, but I'm pleased that Job wasn't given all the answers because we're not given all the answers, are we? We don't know why there's so much suffering in the world. We don't know why we suffer. In the midst of suffering, Job had to trust God. And the same is true for us, isn't it? We still don't have all the answers. We still don't know how it's going to be finally worked out. But we do have this truth. We have heard 
of Job's perseverance, and we have seen what the Lord finally brought about. It might seem strange, but I hope and pray that each one of us comes to see the book of Job as a book of comfort, as a book of uh, God's compassion and mercy. Yes, the book of Job is about suffering and pain. It's not easy to read. But ultimately, it's about God's compassion and mercy because it points to Jesus. Amen.